The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, criticize films on the internet. Ooh. And people usually just call me swear words. I like that we say we're film critics, even though we talk about TV a lot. We talk about, t- well, you know, we are, I guess we are media pundits at this mm, point. We're cinema critics, regardless of where <laughs> they end up. Um, and, and there's been a lot of controversy recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Spielberg said that uh, Netflix released films technically straight to video, not cinema releases, and should not be uh, qualified for, like, can Like, can kicked them out, and they yeah. should not be qualified for Oscars, even though some Netflix films have already won Oscars. Well, I mean, the thing with the, the, thing with the, uh, the Oscars was the theatrical release window was, like... That was the only difference, yeah, between like a made-for-TV movie and a not made-for-TV movie. Mm. So either all movies, regardless of where they debut, need to be qualified at the Oscars, mm. and if that's the case, no movie should ever win an Emmy because because <laughs> it's about the art form and not the medium. Yeah. Is the award about the the medium mm. like that it premieres in, or is it about the art form? Well, the, the that's te- a good question. The technology is changing. We're on this weird cusp, yeah. and it's a discussion that needs to be had. Um, but and- right now, we're doing a TV pilot that was billed as a tv movie yeah it's relevant we promise <laughs> yeah. um a lot of uh okay first off this is pilot season here on cancel too soon we just finished cops with robot partners month um, which was a good month it was and, and it, it ended on a high note i think almost human's one of the best shows we reviewed mm. um and uh, we're doing another theme month for april and if you're not following us on patreon or if you didn't catch like the last couple of minutes of our last podcast um there's a reason we're doing that it's a couple of reasons one we like doing failed pilots uh, mm. They're some of our most fun shows that we've done to date because oftentimes they're really weird and that's why they failed. Uh, Steel Justice. <coughs> um, <laughs> Let, but, go, go back and listen to our Steel Justice. Oh my episode. god, Steel Justice! What there, the hell? There's no way you could possibly regret that. It's amazing. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, if we're only reviewing a pilot, it leaves us more time to do other stuff, and as a result. Because we're only reviewing pilots in the month of April, we get to do four bonus episodes in the month of April. (laughs) And how that's going to work is those are all pilot episodes for bonus podcasts Hmm. that will be available exclusively at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash canceled too soon. The episodes will be exclusive to Patreon for two days, and then they'll be released on our main feed so that everyone can hear the pilots. Mm -hmm. And then our Patreon subscribers get to vote on which one they want to get more of, probably at least at at first on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, So that's how that's going to work. You can go to our Patreon page, get involved there. Uh, But again, the initial wave of pilot episodes, you'll get all of them just a little later than our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. But first, we got to get down to these pilot episodes these classic or not so classic pilot episodes that completely failed and this is 
maybe not the weirdest story or the weirdest plot or characters or, or that we've stra- been... Even the strangest idea. No, not at all. But it is a weird historical novelty for a couple of different reasons <laughs> that are probably almost assuredly like an accident of the production. And mm. only looking back do we see how odd it was. Let's talk about a sword and sandal series from the 1960s starring William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Adam West, <laughs> John Cassavetes, yes, Joseph Cotton, <laughs> and uh, 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 David Cassidy's boss from David Cassidy Man Undercover, Simon Oakland. Simon Oakland. <laughs> this is Alexander the Great. Persia, two thousand two hundred and ninety-seven years ago, a land of rock, of sand, of war, barbaric war. For this was the kingdom of Darius, king of kings, ruler of all Western Asia. For centuries, the winds of battle swept this land dry of life. Until one day from Greece, from the West, came a man to bring life to the soil and civilization and peace. A man who was known as... Alexander! Alexander the Great... (laughs) was shot in 1963. Uh It failed. No one gave a crap. It was resurrected in 1968. Aired on January 26, 1968 on ABC after the success of Star Trek and Batman. Because they realized they had a TV movie with both Adam West and William Shatner. Now, Star Trek wasn't a huge success. Mm -hmm. But it was a quantity. People were kind of talking about it. There were people who watched it and they could be counted on to watch something else with Shatner. With Shatner in it. So, yeah, yeah, Shatner became a name. uh, Even if Star Trek wasn't, like, taking the world by storm. That didn't happen until syndication. And Adam West was... Batman was a hit. Batman, however, was a big hit. And it... It's strange because Adam West is hardly in Alexander the Great. Uh, the implication uh-huh. uh, uh, was that he would have been a bigger part of it had the series gone on. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. I managed to unearth uh, uh, an interview with both Adam West and William Shatner about this. Nice. That was very cool. Um, so this pilot episode is the story of Alexander the Great. It is told in the great uh, sword and sandal tradition. The, or the is it peplum. Is, yeah. Peplum. Peplum is a word for those little kind of sexy short tunics that you see in all of like the Hercules movies. Um, The sword and sandal genre goes back to the silent era, but it was really hit its stride in the early 60s. And there were dozens upon dozens of these things, mostly produced in Italy. uh, If you've heard the name Steve Reeves, uh, there's a reason why Steve Reeves is uh, name checked in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. uh, Because Steve Reeves played Hercules in several of these films. Yep. a lot of various Italian actors played these. Hercules, Machiste was a very fa- uh, famous character. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw them on Mystery Science Theater. They, yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of them aren't good. <laughs> most of them, most of them are, but, uh, are not good by conventional measures. Yeah, they mostly star like on pretty much an all male cast. Maybe there was one babe. Um, yeah, and. Everybody was half naked and everybody was greased up. And there were a lot of like glistening pecs on big bodybuilders. Well, and they lot- became real as these things sort of leaked onto late night TV. They gained a cult following among a queer audience. Well, actually, even initially, I saw a great documentary mm-hmm. about the yeah. sword and sandal genre at a, uh, a retrospective screening at UCLA. Mm-hmm. 
UCLA, when I was there in like the early 2000s, they did a retrospective of a lot of the Sword and Sandal movies, and you got to see them projected in 35mm, nice. and it was really, really cool. And there was a double feature of, I think it was Hercules and the Haunted World, mm. which is basically Hercules versus Christopher Lee as Dracula, and also he goes <laughs> to hell. That's a, that's a really neat movie. Um, but it was paired with a documentary about the sword and sandal genre, the history of the sword and sandal genre, and its relationship mm. to a burgeoning homosexual audience who didn't have a lot of material <laughs> that was made for them. There weren't yeah, a lot of stories yeah. made for uh, uh, in, in a homoerotic uh, viewpoint, and to have them in theaters was apparently mm. quite a big deal. And to have that overlap between the muscle magazines, which is largely pictures of bodybuilders, mm. um, was, you know, an, an important cultural touchstone for some people. Um, so this is also reason why in the movie Airplane, mm. the... Uh, uh, <laughs> Do you like movies about gladiators? Yeah, that's, yeah. There, that, was, that was code for, is, mm. you know, that's is gay. Um, so... Alexander the Great is very firmly within that mold. Mm. Uh, it is very beefcakey. There's a lot of shirtless men. Mm. William Shatner bathes in the foreground, and he <laughs> makes a point of washing everything. Uh -huh. um, Joseph Cotton playfully pours water on William Shatner, and it's like, and it's great. Like that's the mm. fun stuff, honestly. When they're just sort of unabashedly going, in masculinity, fun. Mm. Come on, everybody. And uh, it. it it's i'm not sure if the filmmakers like knew they were inserting queer text or if uh the, the actors were sort of playing with the I text feel like someone had somebody to know. must have known but there were a lot of people who thought this was just a celebration of masculinity they didn't mm -hmm. sense any sort of gay tension or homoerotic tension at all which is silly when we look back on it mm -hmm. it's so obvious g now. given how often this sort of imagery is now uh e equated with sort of queer cult film then yeah yeah, yeah. and so uh, what we have here is a very brawny story about uh male devotion and male betrayal mm. uh there is a female character she's barely in it and if you look <laughs> at the steve reeves movies in particular i'm more familiar with the steve reeves movie mm. movies largely because of mystery science theater because i've seen those multiple times but i've seen them mm. and there are female characters in those but they're not really important to the plot most of the time yeah, in they're, fact, they're, often they're damsels in distress for the most part or often, villainesses exactly and the villainesses are frequently uh oh no she's gonna seduce hercules that'll take him off of his game yeah <laughs> that'll distract him from helping out all the men yeah, like that's yeah. the deal. oh no hercules is having sex with this woman what a tragedy that's the plot <laughs> like and that's fine but like it's interesting that that's so pervasive mm. um so uh alexander the great uh was Created by, it's listed as creator, mm. uh, Robert Piroche. Robert Piroche actually had a long career of writing or co-writing neat movies, including the Marx Brothers film A Day at the Races, mm. uh, I Married a Witch, mm. uh, Hell is for Heroes. He wrote uh, a bunch of TV series. He wrote a bunch of episodes of The Waltons. Uh, it was co-written by William Robert Yates, who worked on uh, The Streets of San Francisco. Uh, the Cancel Too Soon anthology series, Tales of the Unexpected. And we recently ran into him when we reviewed Herbie the Love Bug. <laughs> a lot of prolific people worked on this. It was directed by Phil Carlson, who actually had a very respectable career as a feature film director. Uh, he directed the Joe Don Baker hit film Walking Tall. Which oh, was no kidding. Which was eventually All remade right. with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Uh, he directed the killer rat sequel, Ben. Mm. 
Uh, he directed the Matt Helm spy spoof, The Silencers, uh-huh. and he directed the film noir classic Kansas City Confidential. So pretty good pedigree. Uh, again, William Shatner played Alexander. This was three years before Star Trek. He was a noticeable actor at the time, but he wasn't super famous. He was in The Intruder. People, A lot of people knew him from the Brothers Karamazov adaptation, yeah. but he wasn't a big star when this was originally produced. And this was when... Star Trek kind of ruined his reputation in a lot of ways, and sure. he, and for many years he openly said that that he he kind of resented Star Trek for kind of typecasting him because it it actually prevented him from getting work. Yeah, and he was actually a, a very serious actor. He's studied. He's done classical theater and stuff. He knows you know. The, the method, and he knows how to you know how to. Uh, he's been good. He's, in de- he's delved into the classical. Um, so yeah, this was when he still sort of we we think of the like, William Shatner as Alexander the Great seems kind of campy to us now, but you know going back to what he, where he was early in his career, this the, he was yeah like a serious actor actor and not you know camp actor or over actor as he gained a reputation for being. Uh, Adam West plays Alexander's best friend Cleander, mm-hmm. uh, who again wasn't in the, uh, the pilot very much. Uh, it was three years before Batman the series. Uh, at this point, Adam West was best known for the... He was working on the TV series The Detectives. He had a bunch of small roles in films like Tammy and The Doctor. When was Happy Hooker? That was in the 70s. Oh, 70s. Yeah, okay. That was way later. Um, also rounding out the cast, we had Joseph Cotton, who... <laughs> You know, was in some of the best movies ever made. The Third Man, The Magnificent mm. Amberson, Citizen Kane. Uh, in the 60s, he kind of waffled between doing completely thankless roles and some good stuff. He was in Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. But mm. then he was also in The Oscar, which is in one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> uh, also, uh, playing the villain of the piece, we have John Cassavetes as Coronas. This is a really interesting moment in John Cassavetes' career because in 1963, this was a big role for John Cassavetes. By the time it actually aired in 1968, this was a really tiny role for John Cassavetes. <laughs> so this was like right on the upswing. Because like, it's weird to see John, because John Cassavetes was a hardworking actor. His filmography is actually pretty dense, especially mm-hmm. with like early TV appearances. But it's weird to see John Cassavetes, Oscar nominated actor, star of the Dirty dozen rosemary's baby acclaimed filmmaker one of the great indie filmmakers uh in american history indeed uh and it's weird to see him with like a broom on his head in a a gladiator outfit fighting (laughs) william shatner to the death in the desert like it's weird to see that it seems like Mm. the sort of thing he would not necessarily have been proud of based on his kind of well-stated principles of cinema later on as an actor i think stuff like this was what sort of pushed him into the indie world. He was always interested in sort of making his own kind of naturalist dramas. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of films he ended up directing, stuff like Woman Under the Influence, etc. But um, yeah, as an actor, he did act in a lot of mainstream films. And I think The Dirty Dozen might have been his big break. Or, Dirty Dozen yeah. was in uh, 1967. Yeah. He had an Academy Award nomination for that. Mm-hmm. And this came out after that. So not only did they have... William Shatner and Adam West in the, at the height of their uh, oh. awareness, they had John Cassavetes in this movie already made, and he just became a big deal. And they dug it up. This was like, yeah. uh, do you remember in the late 90s when uh, Renee Zellweger was in Jerry Maguire and uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey was in A Time to Kill, and people really knew who those people were all of a sudden. Yeah. And so it was only then that the studios decided to release Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Next Generation, which they had made like three years earlier. Now, to the fil- to their credit on that mm-hmm. one, because what happens with a lot of those movies is, because most people think, oh, they're an overnight success. They worked in the industry for many years. Yeah. In little tiny roles, no TV, one, whatever. No one's an overnight success. That's 
just not hear of them suddenly. That's not 100% true, but it's well, really rare. Natalie Portman didn't act before The Professional, then she was big. Mm. Ed Norton, I believe his first screen appearance was Primal Fear, got an Oscar nomination for mm. it. It happens. That's why we talk about it, because it is super mega rare. Usually, people work their way up. Mm. And usually, when someone finally does have a big role, people realize, oh, wait, they were in a small role in this thing we did years ago. Mm. Let's re-release it and put their face on the cover, even though they're, like, the eighth lead. Which is why you see, like, Tom Hanks on, like, VHS covers of He Knows You're Alone, even though he's in, like, what, two scenes in that slasher movie? He's in it. He's good in it, but, like, it's weird. Uh so, but in the case of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new generation, they are the stars of the film, at least. That's true. Like, they're to, the lead. To be fair. Yeah. And I actually have a certain affection for that film, because even though it is freaking bizarre. That, that movie is moist garbage. It is but terrible. It is, but it is watchable moist garbage. <laughs> no, it is not. I will happily watch that moist garbage, because everyone's just like, desperately trying to, does everyone appreciate what we're doing here? Like I have a robot leg! It's like pouring warm rancid milk in your eyes. It's just such a terrible but film. But that's engaging! <laughs> if I, I poured rancid milk in your eyes, would you say, uh, okay. I'm bored? Like, <laughs> I, I suppose I would be engaged, sure. <laughs> But what we have with Alexander the Great uh, is, frankly, a, a, a kind of middle-of-the-road, sword-and-sandal kind of thing. It takes Alexander the Great like, and adds some Julius Caesar to it. That's yeah, basically what yeah, they're doing. They're, they're doing a lot of really Shakespearean drama. Uh, they're playing it really straight. There's For all this stuff we've been talking about, sword-and-sandals and these campy actors, uh, it's, it's not a campy piece. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really straight straight, serious piece. There are moments and, of camp, but they're actually pretty isolated. And, and, and this they're, is a respectable they're period essen- drama. They're essentially trying to do a really epic uh, like Hollywood sword and sandal classic along the lines of maybe Ben-Hur, but on like one twentieth of the budget. But it, I think it's worth noting that there actually is a budget for this. They do have a whole mm. bunch of people in, with, in, in on horseback fighting each other. Yeah, it's in a nondescript desert, but it's, like... It's clearly had, the California desert. But they but yeah. had costumes, they had some sets. Like, it doesn't look mega cheap. The only time it, it looks it, it mega looks, cheap uh-huh. is when we see the Persians. Now, Alexander the Great, of course, was uh, a historical figure. He conquered oh, vast yeah. swaths of Asia. Yeah. I'm just saying. Okay. Just in case anyone needs a quick primer. He conquered vast swaths of the known world, mm. and uh, that he kept conquering. And then you know they didn't. His empire didn't last because he didn't actually create any infrastructure. Well, so uh, well, he he tried. I think his it was his successors that said, "No, we don't need that anymore." And then mm. everything crumbled. He actually wanted to like set up schools and help out the poor. He you know in the midst of all his murdering and conquering, he was also setting up some infrastructure. So uh, fair enough. There, there's a lot of ambivalence about Alexander. Uh, fair enough. But he's known for yeah. conquering the shit out of everything. Mm. Um, and uh, in this particular pilot, he's mm. conquering Memnon. Uh, and the Persians. And whenever we cut to Memnon, he's in a tent in next a, in to a, a tree a by a lake. Yeah, yeah it's very clearly <laughs> a park. A, he's in a public park, and yeah, he's he's in a tent, and he's wearing like the fakest looking beard you've ever seen. And he's and they talk about like, oh yeah, Alexander crossed the mountains, and we didn't see him coming. He totally flanked us, my lord. I like he totally flanked us, my lord. I think that should have been a line. But <laughs> he totally and, flanked us. <laughs> and Memnon is 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 just like, oh well, we will destroy it with our armies. And I'm like, I'm looking at the screen. You have like twelve guys. Mm-hmm. Like it looks so cheap. That camp <laughs> looks so cheap. And eventually we see because he had a hundred guys. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess they were just off to the right. <laughs> we couldn't see them. Like they didn't pan over to this huge army he supposedly had because mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like we caught him in the middle of a picnic. Yeah, that's uh, really funny. Memnon was played by an actor named Cliff. Osmond, and he has been in, like, everything. Sure. He, he has, like, you know, almost 100 credits. He was in, uh, oh, golly, uh, 
a, a lot of really not- notable TV and movies. He was in like episodes of Heart to Heart. I saw him on Knight Rider once. Um, I'm looking at his uh, filmography right now. He was in the Apple Dumpling Gang. There you go. <laughs> Always good. So when when Alexander the Great opens, it opens with a whole bunch of dead guys hanging from a tree. And mm. you heard the clip earlier of this very portentous voiceover. I think it's by Joseph Cotton. They never actually clarify who's who's narrating. Um, it sounds like Joseph Cotton. Yeah. And he says, yes, yeah, the, the, the ancient world, war, terrible, everything bad. It's a good thing Alexander came around to bring peace. And I'm like, he conquered a lot, but yeah. okay. Uh, and Alexander has arrived to cut down all these dead guys. One of the dead guys is still alive. And it turns out that this was Adam West's group of people. Mm. And Alexander will is best friends with Adam West, and he will not let Adam West uh, be taken by the so, enemy, and so, so he immediately he, he, races after them uh, against orders. And uh, it is well against advice. Against He's advice. Still in charge. Okay. Uh, somebody runs back and says, "Well, uh, Alexander's missing now. He's off helping Adam West." And it's then that uh, the scheming begins. Oh yes, right away. Uh, right away, they say, "Well, if Alexander's not here." Uh, must mean he's dead, so we can take over the throne. And even though John Cassavetes doesn't necessarily really want it, at least in dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, he accepts it uh, right away, and his plan is to g- get the hell out of Dodge. Immediately, just like, fuck it, we give up, we're done. Mm. What's like, funny? We're, we're, we're going back to Greece, it's... I miss my family, I got a job back there, we're taking all everybody who's out here in Persia, we're just going, we're going back. It's amazing to me how quickly that happens. Alexander's been gone for an afternoon. Alexander went off <laughs> after the bad guys probably dead John mm. Cassavetes you're in charge like it's well, like and they saw him fighting so the assumption fighting, was maybe he died in that fight maybe you don't want to find out you don't want to give him a day like you know it's like he's not even gone 48 hours mm. and we're already like getting it's like imagine your son went missing and without without like calling the cops or waiting forty eight hours to see if he comes back, you immediately get a replacement kid. Like that's what they do. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna adopt. It's like in Transformers the series when like Megatron like tripped on a rock or something. Starscream would immediately I'm yell, leader. "Megatron has fallen! I am your new leader!" <laughs> Megatron's like, "I just I stumbled. <laughs> Calm the fuck down." So John Cassavetes assumes command. He just oh. says, "Fuck it, we're leaving. I don't care." And then. William Shatner and Adam West, come back. Ha ha. We're okay. Everything's oh, fine. Turn God. off your phone. Sorry about that. That's Whitney's phone, not yours, audience. <laughs> and, it's uh, off now. I apologize for that. And William and uh, John Guys is just like, oh, Alexander, uh-huh. you're alive. Thank God. <laughs> I'm and so glad. His performance is like about that convincing, too. Oh, yeah. thank goodness you're back. Yeah. And, uh,. Meanwhile, some shadowy figure has hired a Persian assassin to take out Alexander. I wonder who it could be. I wonder be. who it could possibly be. I'm amazed they even bother trying to make that a twist. It was like, kind of a mystery for like a scene. Yeah, it's like, oh, the obviously bad guy is the bad guy. And of course, what a it twist. Tur- of course it turns out it was John Cassavetes who hired the assassin. Of course it was. Because he, as it turns out, he actually has a big stake in getting back to Greece. He doesn't want to stay out in Persia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as it turns out, he's not the only one. Ah, yes. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, Alexander's generals are kind of sick of this whole war thing, and they kind of want to go. They're, they're tired know, like, of this shit. Look, I know we're successful. I know we just easily take any t- anything we want to, but can we please just... Don't we have enough? Yeah, I have mail that's was, piling up at home. Wasn't it Caesar who was bored that there, was, there wasn't enough left to conquer? That should have been Alexander. Sure. Um, actually, I think it was Alexander. Oh, was it Alexander? I want to say it was Alexander. I thought it was Caesar. Anyway. Someone was bored. And honestly, I was through some of this because a lot of it is just really like Joseph Cotton talking to William Shatner going, you know, uh, Alexander, 
war is is oh. bad and exhausting, and Ch- and Chatner is just like, well, yeah, but I think it's neat. <laughs> so Shatner says, "Oh, you oh, guys were going to retreat. Well, uh, keep keep doing that. I'm going to go take a hot bath in the foreground." So he just <laughs> puts himself in this hot bath. Ladies are pouring hot water oh. on him, and he's just scrubbing away while Joseph Cotton is trying to give him advice. Oh. And then Joseph Cotton pours more water on him, and he's like, "Wee!" And he's throwing wet towels oh. at Joseph Cotton, and that's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> it really in is in the pilot. Whatever. Here, here's the quote: When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he whipped for there were no more worlds to conquer. It's from Plutarch, and I. Yeah. Apologize for not knowing that. I'm a dope. I thought it was Alexander. Okay, yeah. I'm glad. Um, of course, Alexander isn't going to retreat. He was just trying to sort of keep mm. uh, uh, John Cassavetes off guard. And what he actually wants to do is march faster. Yeah. That's his plan. We're going to march super fast. We're going to march. We're going like to run. A, we're going to like, yeah, we're going to run across the desert instead of march. And we're going to get there in three days as opposed to seven. And we're going to surprise the enemy. And we're going to kill the fuck out of them. And all the old uh, uh, generals are just like, that sounds tiring. We should kill Alexander. We should kill we should Alexander. Kill it. Let's ask Joseph Cotton. Joseph Cotton, should we kill Alexander? Joseph Cotton's like... He, kinda, he waffles for a minute. For all, he, well, we had seen... This is the almost a good bit of a good drama. Because when... Mm. Alexander makes that order that we're going to basically almost kill our army in order to get there fast. Mm. Joseph Cotton says, listen, man, I'm a, I'm a soldier. You tell me some, this person is an enemy of the state, I will kill them. You tell me they're an enemy of you, I will kill them. You tell me to fight a war that I think my soldiers will die in and that we won't win, mm. I'm going to tell you that I think that's a bad idea. Yeah. And that creates a, a believable schism. Like, there's an actual scene with William Shatner acting opposite Joseph Cotton, and they're both pretty good. Mm. Because Shatner is playing, like, a young hothead who is convinced of his own godhood. Mm. He fucking says it. And Joseph Cotton is an experienced, older person saying, I don't think this is wise. Mm. So when uh, uh, John Cassavetes goes up to Joseph Cotton and just says, hey, we're thinking about killing Alexander, there's a moment where you think Joseph Cotton might go for it, and that's the tragedy here. Mm. But actually, Joseph Cotton was just trying to get the bad guys to reveal themselves. They fight, and John Cassavetes kills Joseph Cotton. Yeah. That's pretty good drama, that's actually. Good, it's good that's drama. Fine. Yeah. Um, I'm really keen on dramas that reveal... The, the complexities of the power structure in, in any situation, like the command structure. Sure. Because as, as kids, we have really sort of simplistic ideas of how command works. We look at our teachers and we see nothing but an autodidact, essentially. Um, autocracy is something we can really understand as children. So we assume that all power structures are going to be that way. And it's not until you grow up and you start working in groups that you realize that it actually is like everyone's sort of like one person's in charge. They have somebody has to have the final say, but getting input from the whole group, I think is actually a really interesting thing. Actually, I love scenes in movies and in TV shows where a whole group of really intelligent people like gather around and discuss strategy and, you know, they, they kind of shoot down each other's ideas and they bounce ideas off of each other because I think that's really realistic and it's really an op- optimistic way to communicate. So when I see something like that in Alexander the Great, mm. where we have a leader who has been incredibly successful and Shatner's actually pretty good as this kind of really brash hothead who knows he's successful and is just endlessly confident and has never known failure against this older character who has seen failure and having them bounce ideas off of each other. Actually. Yeah. It's really, really fantastic. You say the bath scene was the most interesting. It's certainly the most entertaining Yeah, where they're making hedonism bot noises, pouring water on each other and Ooh. talking about how fun it is to take a nice hot bath. But the second but best scene the is obviously best. the wrestling. 
Okay, also the wrestling. Because there's a bit where, 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 where he picks up a guy and it looks like he's going to tongue kiss him. Oh, it's great. Like, <laughs> so this guy, these two these two guys are fighting. It's like, oh, yeah, I heard the, the Greeks are great at wrestling or something. And, mm-hmm. and Alexander's just like, well, I'll show you wrestling. And the guy picks up William Shatner, bear hugs. It looks like he's trying to crush his spine. Mm-hmm. And William Shatner thrusts his arms out to either side of him and, like, Wheel, wheels around and picks him up in return. Well, no, because initially he's just up in the air dangling with his arms akimbo going, ah, ah, ah. And then he double karate chops him in the neck. And yeah. the guy goes, ah. And then William Shatner has the upper hand. I love how, like, judo chops were considered this, Ju- like... Judo doesn't have chops. I know, but that's what they were <laughs> called. The 1960s, like, the idea of martial arts started to arrive in mm. American cinema and TV, but... People didn't really have an understanding of how it worked. And the implication was that if you just karate chop someone in the neck, that was like hitting the snooze button. Yeah. Like you just hit them in the neck. Boom. Oh, yeah. Acupressure. You hit just the right spot and uh-huh. they're, they're unconscious. That, oh, and that's why uh, we do that every day. Uh-huh. Whenever I'm bored with you. If, if, if there's a long uh, a long line in front of me, I just knock everybody out. It's fine. <laughs> walk up to the front. One, please. <laughs> Um, so there's a great wrestling scene, and ultimately there's a huge fight. Mm-hmm. And I've seen smaller fights. Like I thought this was going to be the cheapest like, like, be, epic show ever. A, a horse, but yeah. Yeah, I honestly thought this was going to be mega, mega, mega cheap. Like embarrassingly it's, cheap. It's at and least kind of cheap. It's at least as big as Hercules: The Legendary Journeys. Like the nineteen sixties version, which had a little bit of money. Yeah, you, you don't feel embarrassed you know, they, people making it. They went out to New Zealand. They got a couple horses. They had you know some really good stunt coordinators. They actually made those fights look good on a string, and I think that's what they did here too. Although the setting is the most boring patch of desert they could have possibly found. Like they clearly yeah. just drove out to Joshua Tree, yeah, and, and you know brought a few horses out to Joshua Tree. They could have found like a I don't know just a more interesting to look at patch of desert. Um, and so there's a huge fight. Shatner finds out that not only is Joseph Cotton dead, but as he died, he wrote a big letter K in the sand mm. next to him, <laughs> which is why you kill them. You don't leave them to die in the desert with lots of writing implements. The mm. desert. Good thing it wasn't windy that day, or who knows what would have happened. And Shatter finds out that the obviously bad guy that he didn't trust from the beginning is actually a bad guy, and he shouldn't he's have actually, trusted him from the beginning. It's actually Kay from all those Kafka novels. Ah, damn it! Um, Shatter, in the middle of his own like war against another army, goes <laughs> off to fight one of his own generals. Mm. That's pleasingly epic. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's very Shakespearean. Yeah, there's a big fight. John Cassavetes looks actually like kind of invested in it. Mm. Like he's he's trying. Uh, John Cassavetes, of course, is killed, uh, which makes sense to me because I have a hard time believing John Cassavetes would want to stick around for too long on this. Doesn't really seem like his jam. Well, like, he was still a rising actor, so if it had gone to series, he would have had to commit. He, you know, agreed to do a pilot. Yeah. Um, mm. And then, yeah, and so the, I guess the idea for the for the show would have been Alexander continues to conquer. I guess he continues to fight off his his various generals. They probably go from town to town, get an increasingly historically inaccurate adventures. Uh, yeah, my my guess is as he the goal of the show, the series would be to eventually meet the Persian king. Mm. Like that, that would be sort of the climax. And they, I guess it would be kind of like Roar, where we had, you know, Heath Ledger and Lisa Zane were kind of like at odds with each other. And they were constantly like sending bad guys and schemes at one another. And that's the, the drama of like one third of the episodes. That's kind of what this show would have been. Mm. Well, actually, according to Adam West, mm. they actually had a novel idea for how the show would have progressed. 
Okay. Because as you noticed, Adam West nearly isn't in it that much. But Adam West was a recognizable actor at the time. He'd been in movies. So it was weird to give him only like a couple of lines of dialogue. They, yeah. Clearly they had bigger plans. Adam West said, and this is in a quote uh, from Hero Complex in the LA Times from many years ago. Um, Bill, William Shatner, and I were supposed to alternate every week with the lead part. We did the pilot and Bill was the lead as Alexander and I was kind of the sidekick guy. And I was going to have the next episode. It was supposed to go like that from there. Bill had a lot more in that first episode than I did, of course. Part of me feels like that maybe is Adam West... Kind of beefing up what he thought his, his role was going to be. But yeah. probably he would have been more important mm. as the series gone on. Like, mm. he, they left him alive. They called him best friends. This plot is very much about, you know, kind of a standalone, mm. you know, tragic betrayal of the God King. Mm. Later, they probably would have given Adam West more to do, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. The thing is, we, we have the life of Alexander. They're clearly not going by any sort of any actual historical document here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just sort of making up sword and sandal as they go along. So how long before they got to, like, a Medusa or, like, some other, like, ancient Greek mythical monster? Uh, not very long yeah. at all. Um, William Shatner... Uh, uh, said, between us, it turned out to be one of the worst scripts I have ever read, and it's one of the worst things I have ever done. Oh, Shatner, that yeah. is not true. <laughs> Every piece of entertainment is made with the idea that it will be terrific, but then it hits the public, and that's when you find out if it's really good or mm. not. And that's that's true. Obviously, like this is an ambitious series. Mm. The idea of doing Alexander the Great, the series... That's ambitious. If you did that now, that would be considered, ooh, that's epic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's going to be impressive. HBO would give a hefty budget to something like that. Something like that. You know, that's sort of the history channel. Someone mm-hmm. would have spent money on this. They, they would have sexed the heck out of it, though. Oh, like, absolutely. Even more than Oliver Stone did in that really rather not good movie I about Alexander. I never saw it. Really? It really not, did you see the director's cut as well? I hear that's better. Uh, I saw the theatrical cut, ah. so I did not see the longer cut. Um, Alas. Uh, Alexander the Great was bisexual. He had male and female lovers. They play it down in the movie. Mm-hmm. He was bisexual AF. He's, what, he's, what, I, what, was I, that, what was that line in the birdcage? Talk about gays in the military. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, in this pilot, you get the impression that he's bisexual. He has, mm. uh, uh, I don't know if she's his wife or if his lover, but like a second some, Alexander. Some, some hot Italian the sec- woman. Is, the second Alexander is declared dead by default. She just immediately runs into a room and just picks up a knife about to stab herself. And Joseph Cotton's like, dude, no. Hang on a second. He's coming back. He's he's coming back. And even if he's not, you're young. Just stop that. (laughs) Don't do that shit. I'm Joseph Cotton. I know. <laughs> I've been there. Trust me, we've all we've all fallen in love with Shatner before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, and and he's clearly way more emotionally invested in Adam West. Mm. So like, I buy that here. I buy that okay. there's subtext here, whether or not it's super intentional. I assume somewhere down the line, someone thought of it. Yeah. Um, but I would be very curious to find out, like, from the actual like showrunners, if they had any notes or if any of them are still alive kind of what vibe they were going for because where it would have gone is either would have stayed realistic you know sort of in a gun smoke vein just another cowboy another sort of sandal adventure of the week Mm -hmm. or yeah it probably would have gone super fucking crazy like roar where it just gets more and more absurd as it goes along Uh, i i don't know how they could have kept it going in sort of the gun smoke vein they just go like, to it. They go to another village, mm-hmm. and there's another problem, and Alexander solves it, and they fight some dudes. Okay, it's not complicated. It, it's, it's just the, it's just the person goes to a new place with problem. So he he's paladin. Kind of, so he's have, paladin. He's and ha, just, have the entire Greek army will travel, and occasionally you'll you'll save up some money for a couple episodes and mm-hmm. do a really big war thing. You okay. know, like I think I think it would have been fine. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I'm watching this and I'm just like, this isn't particularly good. It's also not. 
by any stretch of the imagine the worst show we've ever done. Like I imagine, for, well, for sure. I imagine it's another one they probably didn't pick up because it was expensive. You know, like it was yeah. expensive for TV. It, it seems to me like this would have made a better feature mm-hmm. uh, than a, a pilot. I I don't necessarily want to see this week after week because I know they'd run out of ideas quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because I can't think of anything that they might do. But having Alexander go from village to village and like. You know he's like going to help some young boy find his dog at of some course. point, or he's going to you know. But that didn't stop the Incredible Hulk. Help a guy, you know. Like, well, but the, the Incredible Hulk is a lone figure. This is Alexander the Great. He's got millions at his command. He has better things to do <laughs> than go on weekly adventures in small villages. Everyone has better things to do than go on weekly adventures. Not I the have taxes. Not, not the Hulk. <laughs> What's the Hulk gonna do? Get a job in a complaint booth? I want to see the Hulk get audited. You've like it's been like three years since you filed your taxes, sir. Like, what have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, uh, this is getting me really. Ad- ah! <laughs> it's so much debt. <laughs> it's not easy being green. smash debt. <laughs> What's funny about Alexander the Great, beyond what we've already said, and that it creates I, it's um, not mm. only is it like this early TV attempt to take. Uh, the sort of beefcake sword and sandal genre and do it as an episodic television series. Mm. Not only does it take place in this weird, nebulous, like very, spe- not even nebulous, like weirdly specific point in Adam's, uh, Adam West, William Shatner, Joseph Cotton, and John Cassavetti's careers. Mm. Um, it is also, when it did air, it aired on a Cancel Too Soon show. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Because this, this is this is please, not. Please elucidate. This, okay. So this was given as a TV movie, but it was actually aired as part of a series of TV movies well, uh, and, and and re-edited feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, some TV movies are made long enough that they can be later repackaged or shown overseas in like a, mm. n- a somewhat around ninety minute cut. Yeah, or something, and sometimes they air as TV movies, and well, we got to do something with it. Like I, I know, Justice. I know, the, the Man from Uncle was notorious about that. They would yeah. cut, they would cut together episodes and release them as feature films. That happened a lot. It happened with Battlestar Galactica, the original series. Mm. It happened with the original uh, Mission Impossible. Um, but uh, here, they clearly didn't do that, and the episode itself is <laughs> about forty five minutes long. Mm. Um, so, what are they going to do with it? Well. What they did was they ended up airing it on an anthology series called Off to See the Wizard. Oh, no. Off to See the Wizard was an anthology series hosted by Dorothy Gale, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, Mm. and the Wizard of Oz animated. Okay, I'm down. And they would introduce, they would be like, what are we watching tonight, wizard? And the wizard would do some funny bit, and then they would show the movie. Mm. And they would show, like, re-edited Wizard of Oz. They'd show, like, half of Wizard of Oz one week and the other half the next week. Mm. And they needed a whole lot of content. (laughs) And Okay, this is the kind of show that is done for practicality's sake. Yeah. We have like, we, we have we, this we content. Have all, we, we have all this content, and we may as well try to package it as a new show so it seems more original. Yeah, so they so would we'll, show we'll do the bare minimum of original content, sort of as bookend material, mm-hmm. and then we'll show these movies. So they would show like there, a lot of it was stuff from MGM. So they would show like Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion, which had only just come out at the time, or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, or uh, uh, Island of the Lost, or Flipper in like two parts. Oh. But then they would have individual episodes, and I want to find out. How many of these were failed pilots? Because we have titles like Gypsy Colt and Mike and the Mermaid and Wild World. And I'm curious, like, if this was just a repackaging mechanism for those things or Mm -hmm. if those were shorts that got 
beefed up somehow. Um, but yeah, it's just basically it's the magical world of Disney, but it was the but magical world of MGM. Okay. Um, and that's kind of neat. Uh, we'd have probably have a real hard time tracking all those things down. But if you want to take a look, there uh, a lot of like the interstitials, a lot of the like animated intros to these are still available on YouTube, and you mm. can just sort of see. These reasonably well animated Wizard of Oz cartoons introducing Flipper. Mm. Weird. <laughs> That's weird, right? God, it must have been such a, this weird hallucinatory experience. Like if if you stagger in to the house in like 1963, and you're you're thumbing around through the the late night television stations, you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, like it's just kind of a, a content roulette at that point. They would just air whatever. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. There, there's a really great DVD box set out there called Hey Kids! And it's nothing but children's programming from like the mid-1950s. Yeah. Like forgotten TV shows. Like there's Kukla Fran and Ollie and other sh- and Howdy Doody and stuff you might recognize. But also like just, here's a, a gentle kids show host, this young woman who would read stories and then whistle and then like blow bubbles for five minutes. Yeah. And that, that entertained kids, I guess. That's all we had. Yeah. It was that or read and we're not going to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, do something. You gotta watch a thing. Mm. Um, yeah, TV was just sort of like weird and random a lot of the time. And a lot of uh, there's a lot of early programming that if you were around for you, like you talk to your parents or whatever, mm. and they would say, like, I had this show I watched when I was a kid. I don't remember what it was called. Mm. I don't know who was in it. I just vaguely remember this person shrinking themselves to the size of their pet mouse named Poo Poo Piffles. <laughs> or Sniffles. Sniffles was what it was. And Is this a real thing you're describing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forget what it's called off the top of my head, but my mom watched it's it. It's called Poo Poo Sniffles or no, just no, Sniffles? No, no, no. It's uh, uh, Make Me Just As Small As Sniffles was part of this rhyme. Hang Make on, let me, me see if I can find it. Make Me Just As Small As Sniffles. Char- uh, Charlie Sheen, Ben Vereen, shrink to the size of a lima bean. That kind of idea, yeah. <laughs> uh, sniffles. Yeah, Sniffles was the uh, name of the cartoon. It was called Sniffles. Yeah. Was it It was live action or was it animated? Uh, it was animated. Okay. Um, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. One I remember, one that was always pointed. I was always pointed in the direction I, of it. Maybe I'm thinking of something else, I'm, I'm old enough to remember seeing kids program on UHF stations when the networks weren't doing it for you. You could go to like the, the hundreds and hundreds of public TV stations. I'm old enough to have a TV that was A, in black and white, and B, had two separate dials. Mm. What, one where you could turn you know to the network stations, one you could like turn to all the UHF stations. Oh, so yeah, I had one of those. That, that's how I saw Transor Z. Which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. There you go. Which was a repackaged uh, anime originally called Mazengerzi. Uh, and uh, one of the public station TV shows was called Whitney and the Robot, which I thought was interesting because it had a male named Whitney, like just like me. And uh, it was like an educational show, and the robot looked like a colander on wheels. It was, yeah. yeah. Sniffles is apparently a relatively lesser known Looney Tune. Uh, who would appear in oh. Dell Comics and yeah. teamed up with a little girl named Mary who could indeed shrink herself to mouse size. I guess they had their own show at some was, point. Was it Mom talked about the it. little sneezing mouse? Yeah. Okay. I, I've seen Sniffles then. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was there, else, I think right? they had like a spinoff or something. At least that's how my okay. mom remembers it. Yeah. She could be wrong. I remember uh, uh, my dad once when I was a kid uh, came into the breakfast room and it's like, I had this song stuck in my head and I can't remember... Mm. Uh, what it is and we're like well what is it it's like you call me on the telephone very very much and i'm like what <laughs> like just that little portion yeah like that i'm like what the hell are you talking about and we would every once in a while it was a game to try to figure out what the song was uh-huh. and then about 10 years later i mean he's driving me to college mm-hmm. and 
I like literally the day he's driving me to college on the radio. You better, you bet comes on. I was like, that's it! <laughs> very, very much! That's not in the lyrics! It's not even close! What are you talking about? It's you better, mm-hmm. you better, you better, you bet. Not very, very much. Well, no wonder a, we didn't know that. Just a misheard lyric that he'd been carrying around My for all point those is years. That you, these kinds of things, before we had the internet, uh, like if you Before didn't it was know, archived, yeah. yeah. My mom wondered about sniffles for decades. I looked it up mm-hmm. in a couple of seconds on this podcast. So, like, some weird sort of anthology series that never got released on home video and never aired in syndication. Mm-hmm. Someone out there was just like, it's, oh, it's burned it's, into their brain. It was real. <laughs> it Holy actually shit. existed, and that's yeah. what it is. I think it's fascinating. I love that little, uh, mm-hmm. uh, these those little aha, alcoves aha of TV moments. history. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, this this was uh, it, it. So Alexander the Great exists on this weird cusp because it had f- people who became famous in it, mm-hmm. and it had a couple had, people who had already been famous and were it, kind of it had a, a classical bent. It was clearly taking its model from films like you know Cleopatra and Ben Hur. Um, it, it was poised to be a successful thing, yeah, and yet was pushed way over to the other side, where it became this weird curio that nobody remembers, and yet it, now, thanks to the internet, it's just on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> now you can find this pretty easily yeah. nowadays. Um, yeah, it's a it's a weird show, but mostly weird in its existence. Mm. You actually watch it; it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's it's not particularly good. Would Would you say it was canceled too soon? Uh, no, I think I think this needs to be expanded as a feature. I think it the story is fine unto itself. I don't necessarily need to see more adventures in this particular look. Um, yeah, just having a, a cheap gladiator film, I think, would have been preferable to Weekly Adventures of Alexander the Great. I actually would like to have seen this as a series. I think oh, it might. Oh, okay. I think it probably would have had more camp value as it went along. I agree. Hmm. Probably not too long before they just ventured into the supernatural or the stupid. Yeah, um, it was just a pilot. It wouldn't have lasted. To be on a season anyway. It still would have been not. a contender for canceled too soon. Probably, but like I still think I would have liked to have seen it. Why? The cast is neat. You want to mm-hmm. get Adam because you know every all the other cool actors are dead in the pilot. So it's Adam West and William Shatner co-starring in a buddy sword and sandal okay. conquering adventure series. That sounds neat. <laughs> I, I would I would watch the hell out of that series. Problem, of course, though, is if it had lasted more than a couple of seasons, we mm-hmm. might not have had them in Star Trek or Batman. Yeah. So would you do you want the sword and sandal adventure? show with Shatner and Adam West if you had to trade Star Trek and Batman to get it. Hell no. Okay. Absolutely not. However... Even if they were, like, reuniting in the modern day, like, and say they tried to make feature films of it in, like, the 90s... Like an Alexander the Great 90s movie or something Yeah, like, based on the old TV show. That would be them them older, you know. That would be fun. This would be... This would take the same sort of cultural place that Star Trek eventually would inhabit. I have a hard time. If we had, if we had this, I have a hard time believing we'd have Trek. Alexander the Great conventions. Yeah, and people like you know, oh, we made I, up. You know I made up a fictional language for Alexander the Great to speak. He was a person. We, we may a real person. We may not have had filmed versions of Batman. Like the movies wouldn't have happened. Batman wouldn't have been as big a character. That TV show really pushed him into the consciousness. It really did. Um, I can't make those calls. Yeah. What I would like to say yeah. is that I think <laughs> so, if it lasted one season, I don't think it would have gotten in the way. Maybe not. Yeah. So but, I think I would have liked may, to have seen, maybe, I would have curious to see where they would have gone with Maybe this. Shatner and Adam West would have gone their separate ways, gone on to more ambitious projects. Star Trek and Batman would have gone on the way they had. Yeah. No, we're thinking about Star Trek alternate timelines. Well, because like, And so we would have like, had oh, Jeffrey I, Hunter as, in the role of, of Kirk, I suppose. He would have been just, fine. 
And who would have played Batman? Was were they thinking of any other actors? You know, I actually don't know that no. off the top of my head. I'm sure that at no point Burt while Ward they were in production Milton of Burl or something. I think that's stupid. <laughs> but I, I'm sure at no point while mm. they were making and while they were in production on Batman the series mm. did anyone go looking. If we can't get Adam West, we don't have a show. <laughs> like I'm sure they, they had, had a, like a whole line of other actors. There's who were there's for. someone else out there who could have done it. Like it, so, if, if you're one of those actors. Let us know. We'd love I to hear from you. If, yep. if you almost got Batman and you resent Adam West to like this Burt day. Burt Reynolds was, uh, was in the running for it. Like early Burt Reynolds, 1966. Wow. That could, you know what? I can kind of see it. You can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. It's, diffi- mm-hmm. it's difficult to picture the show without Adam West, but mm-hmm. I can kind of picture Burt Reynolds. I want, to, I want to do this as a little uh, exercise for mm-hmm. our listeners. Uh, if you want to email us, canceled too soon at gmail.com. Remember, canceled always has one L. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, we love it when you write in, tell us your memories of these shows, or uh, if you have, want to ask us questions, or you have little tidbits to share about TV history, or anything at all, really. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, we like to give out a challenge. So I want you to think about a classic television series. And I want you to think about an alternate timeline in which the lead or, or like the breakout character had mm-hmm. to be played by another actor of that time. Yeah. Like try to imagine like who was around and age appropriate at the same time as Happy Days and could have played the Fonz other than Henry Winkler. Mm. And would it have worked? Like try yeah. to think of someone who you can imagine it working. Yeah. Because you can just throw anyone in and say like I would have sucked and it probably would have. But like, <laughs> you're telling me that Harry Winkler is literally the only person who could have ever played the Fonz? Mm. I don't buy that. I'm sure there's someone else out there who could have done okay. So think it over. I think it's a fun little exercise, sort of mm. an alternate history uh, casting. But you have to make it plausible. You can't go back in time and say, yeah, Tom Hardy would have knocked it out of the park. That wasn't going to happen. Mm. Who would have done it at the time? <laughs> so uh, email us. Let us know if you have any fun ones you came yeah. up with. Uh, we have time for a couple of letters. Okay. Um, this is a letter from Lloyd. Hello, Lloyd. Hi. Um, hello, Messrs. Bibiani and Seibold. How's everything going? Hopefully, uh, hopefully well, and the only discomfort you have encountered is the bittersweet angst of watching nothing but shows that were actually sadly canceled too soon. I'm taking a moment to write you to not only avoid doing work, but also to do two things. Uh, one, I'm curious if you're familiar with the show My Living Doll. Uh, I'm sure you are, but I want to bring it up uh, as a tag-on for the Cops and Robot Partners Month. Oh, well, that just ended. Yeah, but that's interesting, uh, though. The Guys and Gynoids addendum, if you please. Uh, Especially since I doubt you guys will ever be able to legitimately cover it, as there are some episodes that have still not been recovered. Ah. So a full season is currently and possibly will never be available. As a kid, I was fascinated by this show, since my parents both mentioned it fondly, and it starred the statuesque Julie Newmar as one of the five women who kept me from realizing I was gay. (laughs) The other four being Susan Day, Yvonne Craig, Diana Rigg, and Michelle Nichols. That, you know what? That, that, that's a good five. That's how, yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you're not gay? Oh, Susan Day, stop it. Um, Ms. Nichols smiled beautifully when I informed her of her inclusion on this list, but I digress. Uh, since the show held my curiosity for decades, I was more than delighted to buy it when it finally came out on DVD, even if incomplete. Since you're unlikely to cover it, I'll give you some thoughts. It isn't good. <laughs> It should be, but I personally think it didn't under, understand what it was supposed to be. Around the same time, we had Bewitched and I Dream of Jimmy, Jeannie, both pairing normal, a reasonably normal guy with a fantastical female. So I can see where somebody thought, let's do this with a robot. The problem is they missed the mark, and that really made the shows work. Leveling the battle of the sexes playing field. Darren and Tony were still men of their time, so the world was theirs for the taking, but now they had to con- contest with the new women, uh, who could be independent and have their own desires and ambitions. But in the special case, they also have special abilities that enable them to essentially ignore their male oppression if they so wish. Hmm. 
And so now it becomes a story, uh, how does modern man really deal with facing a true equal in the modern woman? Fascinating. My living doll, on the other hand, while it could have very easily have done this, uh, doesn't. She, while his superior in almost every way, is still exactly what the title of the show says. Just a big doll to do what he demands, as long as his wording is correct. Mm. Uh, the show comes off shallow and at times even a little ugly for that. More so just being a product of its time, this show feels like it really wants to say that regardless of how many adventures... W- advances women may get they still better realize that they do what men say ms newmar is as lovely as ever giving her typical is she a bad actress or uniquely quirky performance i'm gonna vote for it uniquely quirky uniquely quirky yeah quirky she was just a a funny funny woman having seen her on monster squad she's great yeah (laughs) (laughs) she was she's really fantastic in an episode of the monkeys where she, she plays the woman that all four monkeys are trying to seduce uh cummings is boorish and smarmy proving not that everyone lo- uh, that everyone loves that Bob. They have no chemistry. He appears to be to visibly dislike having to share any scenes with her. Overall, this was a disappointment. Uh, he also uh, in, makes a suggestion for a film called Caveman. No, oh, I've heard uh, of Caveman. Yeah. Have, have a great day. Keep up the great show. Uh, same cancel time, same cancel channel, Lloyd. Oh, that's a good. Uh, yeah. That's a good uh, sign off. Um, yeah. Okay. So it turns out that My Living Doll, uh, the first volume of it, has been released on DVD. So if we ever right. wanted to, we could do like half of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, it turns out the original 35mm negatives were destroyed in the Northridge earthquake in 1994. Oh. So they were trying to assemble as best they could. The other <laughs> two neat things I was able to find in my uh, just quick research. Uh-huh. Uh, first off, that the producer of My Living Doll, Howard Leeds, eventually also created Small Wonder. Which oh, is a very so similar concept. He had a, a robots on the brain, that guy. Uh, and this show, apparently, is the first place the phrase does not compute... Oh yeah, was ever uh, was ever used? Oh, near as we can tell. Interesting trivia. That's, that's interesting. So that's actually, I actually that was not on my I'm, radar. I'm reminded of a joke on put that on, there. on the Simpsons where uh, Bart and Lisa won an award for writing itchy and scratchy, but they had to use an adult's name, so they used grandpa's. Oh yeah. And he watched the cartoons, and he was so disgusted that he just told off all the animators in a big ballroom. Yeah. And uh, one guy said, "It's oh my god, we've been wasting our lives. I'm going to leave cartoons and do what I've always wanted to do: write that sitcom about a sassy robot." <laughs> <laughs> what else uh, have we got? Uh, here's a letter from Adam. Hello, Adam. Uh, Hi. Dear Hobbs and Whitney, as my autocorrect calls you. <laughs> you know what? Can That's I call you Hobbs? Please. That's is, great. Is life nasty, brutish, and short for you? No, but I'm a tiger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the other Hobbs. Uh, here's three short questions, if you don't mind. Firstly, whatever happened to the Cancel Too Soon Awards? Will there be a second edition? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, and, end of and, April. At the end of April, we're gearing up. It is an annual thing, and uh, the last one was in April, so this next one will be in April. Uh, as as with last time, uh, we since we actually watched all the shows, like all the actual show awards, mm. uh, will be uh, driven by us and, and our opinions, for whatever that's worth. Mm. Uh, but we will be inviting everyone of our listeners to email us uh, their vote for the best episode of this podcast mm. of the year. Uh, one winner not, will be chosen. Not the best show we've seen, but the best episode. Like, the the one that entertained you, you thought was most informative, whatever your criteria mm. is for best. Um, and that's good for us for a couple of reasons. One, it lets us know what you like and what you don't like, so we can give you more of what you like. Mm. Um, two, um, it gives you an opportunity to force us to review something of your choice. Mm. So one uh, uh, grand prize winner will get to force us to review any TV show they want, as long as it fits our rules and we can find it. And the runner-up will get to pick an episode mm. of the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. All right. Uh, and he also says, secondly, uh, one of my favorite new episodes of Cancel Too Soon is the Drac Pack one. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious, even though I felt bad for you having to watch such a whacking awful series. 
whacking awful. Uh, it drag That's whack. The drag whack. It was a drag yeah. whacking awful. Drag pack whack attack yeah. is back. Uh, anyway, would you care to do a whole Hanna Barbera themed month? No, because we want to stay sane. <laughs> When you get into the dregs of Hanna-Barbera, it's brutal. <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. Even some of the best Hanna-Barbera is not it's, meant to be binged. Uh, like, e- even Scooby-Doo sucks, guys. Like, there, you remember it well, but... Uh, there have are you, like, some we want to do. Yeah. Like, I want to. I would love to, like, go back and revisit, like, you know, the Super Globetrotters the or, or... Jabberjaw or something. Funky Phantom. I think Jabberjaw lasted too long, but, like, a oh, lot yeah. of... Oh, the one I really want to try to track down all of is uh, Casper and the Angels, where Casper the Friendly Ghost teamed up with two space cops. Sounds great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Space caps. <laughs> I want to track down every episode of Moby Dick. Oh, where, that one was weird. Yeah, where it's a cartoon about Moby Dick uh-huh. from Herman Melville's novel. Giant whale. T- teaming up with two cute little boys, and they rescued boats underwater and stuff. Yeah. The little boys, like, were in scuba suits. Hanna-Barbera did a lot of coke. That's Moby my only explanation. I don't know they if that's on, true. It sounds kept, like And it's they kept true. on shouting things like, get him, Moby! Go, Moby! <laughs> Uh, lastly, would you, Johnny Quest fit your rules? The original 1964 season uh, series only had one season. Same with the 1986 continuation mm. and the 90s follow-up, which I watched and loved as a kid, had two seasons. Stay awesome, Adam. Uh, well, um, two seasons, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Quest is, like, too big a quantity. Well, Johnny like, Quest like, continued yeah. a lot. Like, spin-offs is one thing we've done, mm. um, and we made an exception for Battlestar just because it was such a notorious failure, and when it spun off, mm. it was an entirely different entity. Reboots don't count. Like, if it's been rebooted, it, it, it's yeah. fine. Um, we'll have to do a little bit of research to see how much Johnny Quest counts, but I'm pretty sure Johnny Quest continued in various forms. Maybe we could do one of the spinoffs. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, the, a lot of like, those, like, animated shows that had this weird long shelf life and did a lot of crossovers and things. Well, they don't <sighs> quite fit. They might fit the technical rules, but they don't really fit the spirit. Yeah, like, uh, so many shows, uh, especially out of, like, the Hanna-Barbera camp, were made like only a certain number of episodes were made, but they were made with limited animation to be uh, broadcast on a daily basis. Yeah, so, so there's like sixty. It's, of those yeah, there's like sometimes. a single season, but there's sixty episodes, and sometimes they wouldn't all necessarily air. And then they would take those episodes and repackage them in like these hour long blocks. Yeah. So they were actually half of you know the Jabberjaw and Human Torch show or whatever the hell they had. Yeah. The the Incredible Hulk and Donkey Kong like to smash your face Saturday morning spectacular. And, and uh, I think that was an actual show. I would have watched that. <laughs> that. Sounds great. And, and yeah, it's like the Saturday Supercade. You know, what, what, how do you slice up something like that? What do, we're saying we is that review? Hanna-Barbera was the original Ready Player One. More or less. <laughs> yeah, they, they were doing, they did wacky races, for goodness sake. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, what is what is the first, like, quest in Ready Player One, if not a wacky race? It is a wacky race. And there's yeah. no Penelope Pit stop. And I was a little upset. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, I wasn't upset. I don't, <laughs> I don't care enough. Um, yeah. Um, but if they do a Wacky Racers film, it'll look like Ready Player One now. Like, it'll probably, be all dark yeah. and gritty and crashy, noisy, realistic. And, we... mu- and muttly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so not, yeah, you're laughing wrong. We, we're if we find one that's just crazy enough, we might just do it because we want to. But yeah, for the most part, we really have to start weighing in as to like how that's going to function. Again, we keep our rules as simple as possible, but mm. there's always an exception. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, let's do one more. Uh, here, here's a letter from R. Clay Johnson. Okay, it's a good name. Uh, hey guys, recently you mentioned the All in the Family spinoff 704 Hauser Street. I remember watching that show as a kid. My parents watched it because they were big fans of All in the Family and were hoping it would capture the same magic. Obviously, as the show only lasted six episodes, it did not. 
It starred John Amos as a pre-news radio uh, and ER Mara Tierney. Uh, the show followed oh, an effort and and, uh, and, yeah. and a pre. Uh, John Amos ER. playing Mora Tierney is a hell of a role. John Amos not... uh, and a pre news radio and ER Mara Tierney. Okay, I love uh, Mara Tierney. She's great. She's great. Uh, the show followed an African American family who lived in Archie Bunker's old house, whose son was engaged to Tierney's character. I only remember one plot, but I would be surprised if many of them were sim- wouldn't be surprised if many of them were similar. In which Amos's character felt as though he were the target of racial profiling. He was accused by other members of his family of being too sensitive, but it turned out that he was completely right. The majority of the entire show can be found on YouTube. I was actually planning to review it on my own podcast eventually, but have recently decided to put my podcast on an indefinite hiatus, as this is too difficult of a concept to continue without a permanent co-host. I also wanted to weigh in on the subject of movies that were altered for television. Uh, The example that sticks out the most in my mind is the television version of What About Bob? This was actually the first version of the film I had ever seen and did not realize that they had replaced Tourette's Syndrome with an imaginary disease, Buddy's Disease. Why they felt like they had to change the term Tourette Syndrome for a television audience, I don't quite know, but they did, and I found myself quite confused for the first time I saw the real version of the movie, and Buddy's Disease was nowhere to be found. (laughs) Buddy's Disease? B-U-D-D-I-S, like friends, Buddy's Disease. Okay. Uh, thinking back on it now, I don't know why I ever accepted the concept of Buddy's Disease, as it sounds rather (laughs) ridiculous. Buddy's Disease. I'm going to start saying that There's a lot of those weird ones where they, is there more to the letter? Uh, I, R. Clay Johnson would also like to recommend Tom, the Tom Arnold show. Okay, noted. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if there's a whole podcast we can do about that, but there mm. is this really weird history of re-edited movies for television, some of which are basically just, you know, you bleep out a word. Mm. Uh, like, uh, uh, put a black bar over a little bit of nudity if you can't cut mm. the whole scene for plot reasons. I never saw a black bar, but I, I did. did. I did see like the fuzzing and that pixelating when they finally got around to that pixelating thing. I, I saw a couple of black bars, but yeah, usually it was the pixelating was was more yeah. popular after a while. I was like when they stopped doing that. I was like instead of beeping out the word, I always liked when they actually got an actor or an actress to like s- replace the word in dialogue. Mm-hmm. But their lips wouldn't match the word. They wouldn't bother covering up the mouth or, or blurring anything. They would just the dialogue would say something different. I think it was was it Goodfellas where they replaced the word motherfucker with motherfather. I think so. Yeah, yeah you mother father. Mm-hmm. What is that even? Is that bad? You did. I think like son of a son of a beach towel was also used what a couple did, what times. Did I do? Uh, the best one ever, and I, I think by now this is relatively well known. But just in case you don't know it, this uh, is this really is one of the best ones ever. Was Die Hard Two, Die Harder? Uh, uh, as you may know, if you've watched the Die Hard movies, John McClane's catchphrase, the thing he says in every movie, uh, is "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker." But they found ways ever since the first, <laughs> yeah, to sort of <laughs> to fudge it a little bit. And uh, uh, in Die Hard Two, Die Harder, the TV version, when he says "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker" and blows up uh, a plane, and it's all badass. They changed it to Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> which sounds which is not, good. Not the name of the villain. Yeah, there's no character in the movie named Mr. Falcon. And I believe, I remember seeing this when I caught it. Mm. There's an earlier scene where they added one bit of ADR, like one little off camera line of dialogue when they're like setting up their like bad guy command center, mm. where you just hear someone say, Everything's ready, Mr. Falcon. Wow. And I'm like, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's just, pretty thin. It's thin, but I admire the innovation because somebody you clearly somebody had like six hours to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, what do I do? Oh, I, I have an idea. Hey, we got to go with it. Uh, one of my favorites, I saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off on television, and they couldn't say ass mm. on, on network TV. And there's a line of dialogue about uh, Cameron putting a piece of coal in his ass. 
Oh, um, yeah. yeah. You could put a piece of coal in his ass, and a week later you'd have a diamond. That's how tight he That was the line. Um, the version we had, they clearly had a different actor to dub over the, the replacement cuss. So it was just a, a flat shot of Matthew Broderick saying, he's so uptight, but you could put a piece of coal in his fist, and a week later you'd have a diamond. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> they just didn't, they didn't care. No. Like, no. They, they, they're and just the, like, no one's going to care. We're done. The really fascinating thing is when they have an R-rated film and they cut all of the R-rated content and it's not long enough any longer to fit in the two-hour time slot. And they have to put in, like, and deleted they to, scenes. They have to put in deleted scenes. And for a long time, that was, like, really a treat because yeah. you couldn't get that on, like, DVDs. There weren't DVDs yet. So I saw scenes from, like, Blazing Saddles and The Man with Two Brains that w- weren't in the final cut of the you movie. Know, for broad comedies, that can be fun, but mm. sometimes it's just, like, it's really super superfluous. Like, I remember saw a TV cut of Tin Cup. Uh, <laughs> a pretty funny golf movie with Kevin Costner, Rene Russo, and Cheech Marin. I like it fine. and mm. It's a bit of a relic, but what are you going to do? And they added this scene that was just them like driving their Winnebago like through a gate. Like, it was just like, <laughs> oh, we got to get in, the, in here. Well, mm. I don't know if you're on the list. Well, we are. Oh. Well, I'll check. We're going to put that scene in for no reason. Yeah, it's just really, really boring. Like, I read a story once. I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was a Mr. Moto film. Now, if you recall, mm-hmm. Mr. Moto, there was a series of uh, films in, like, the 30s and I think the 40s that were about a uh, a, a detective. Mm-hmm. And it was Peter Lorre and Rather Offensive Yellowface, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not but whatever. That sucks. But, like, that's not the point <laughs> the, of the story. And apparently the movie was running short quite a mm-hmm. bit. So they added a scene of Peter Lorre, like, oh, Peter Lorre, I mean, first off, he heard the plot point, and then it just cut to him in, like, Cairo, or wherever the hell yeah. he had to go. And they added a scene of Peter Lorre, like, hanging up the phone, walking outside, hailing a cab, mm. driving the cab, <laughs> cab lets him off, gets to the airport. Travel, travel, music, we're padding out the film. I think your wife actually had a theory about, like, the quality of a movie is inversely proportional to the amount of scenes of people parking cars. That's right. This this is something she noticed watching Mystery Science Theater. They had a lot of time to talk in Mystery Science Theater, because a lot of bad movies have to pad out to get to feature length. There's usually a lot of dead space in really bad movies, and they have to... they usually pat it out by sh- watching people pulling up in a car, pulling up into a driveway, getting out, and then going into the house, and then the scene begins. You didn't need any of that. <laughs> and if there's a lot of those in your movie, you're watching a bad movie. Damn right. Um, mm. And we watch bad shows here and cancel too soon. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, we have uh, uh, let's just uh, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh-huh. Uh But uh, by all means, email us canceled too soon at gmail.com. We're also mm. on Twitter at canceledcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we have later this week uh, tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're on our Patreon account, uh, we have uh, our first canceled too soon pilot mm-hmm. for our own podcast. Uh, the pilot episode is for. A show called Cancel Too Soon The Home Game. That's right. Cancel Too Soon The Home Game would be a show in which we exclusively looked at maybe not short lived game shows, mm-hmm. but defunct game shows. Game okay. shows that no longer exist. Yeah. Um, that uh, a lot of people remember, a lot more fun. Um, and we're going to start off with, in our pilot episode, <laughs> Donald Trump's game show. Of the many things that Donald Trump failed at, one of them was making a game show. Uh, Trump Card, uh-huh. which aired in the early 90s. Actually had quite a few episodes, but mm-hmm. you know, lasted only one season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a quiz show. And Donald Trump showed up in the pilot and he did some promotional work for it. Mm-hmm. And it was not good. So we're going to talk about that. That's going to be a real hoot, but uh, you know, as that as that yeah. series progresses, there's a whole Hoot-nanny bunch of stuff we can do. Oh God! Um, 
Mm-hmm. So th- we got that going for us. But next week on Cancel Too Soon proper, mm-hmm. since it's pilot season, we're going to do another failed pilot. And we're going to do another interesting little footnote one. Uh, you might recall or might know that on April 13th, mm-hmm. Netflix is debuting a new television series based on Lost in Space, the classic sci-fi series from the 1960s. Mm. What you may or may not know is that about 10 years ago, John Woo directed a pilot for a Lost in Space television series for the CW that was not picked up. <laughs> and we tracked it down, and we're going to talk about the that. The 90s Lost in Space reboot. Uh, 2000s. Or 2000s. 2000s Lost in Space reboot for the CW. Mm. So it's like Dawson's Creek in space with action. Awesome. Ro- Ro- Robinson's Creek, I suppose. Oh, it's it's uh, the Robinsons, colon, Lost in Space. So it's yeah, it's more about the family. Yeah, exactly. Party of five in space. Uh, So we'll be reviewing that uh, next week. Uh, By all means, uh, stick around. Check us out on patreon.com slash canceled too soon, where in addition to getting the bonus content and voting for which of these new shows we're going to do as a bonus piece of content, uh, you get uh, to vote for an episode of the show every single month. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we like to outsource these things. Um, The current poll for which pilot we're going to review, I think in probably the third week of April, is kind of locked up right now. It was a runaway. (laughs) Uh, It's probably, unless there's a huge tide shift, going to be another William Shatner show. This one about super-powered Amish people. So stick around. It gets beautiful. Um, (laughs) And once again, you surprised me. I really thought you guys would go for tag team. Tag team, the one starring Rowdy Roddy Piper and Jesse the Body Ventura as wrestlers who give up wrestling to become cops. Who, who knew? I thought they were going to go for the one where uh, a country, laid-back country music star John Denver is a badass cop who also sings country mm. called Higher Ground. I thought that was going to be the winner. You don't want to see John Denver try to be a badass? You don't want to see John Denver like punch people <laughs> and then whip out a guitar and say, you guys are odd. Then again, I guess William Shatner and Superpowered Amish People, produced by Francis Ford Coppola, is pretty neat, too. TV history uh, is weird. Yeah, they, they just tried everything, didn't they? <laughs> I'm so glad we do this show. I love this show. This is one of my favorite things that I get to do every yeah. week. I'm so glad. And thank you for joining me, Winning. Th- oh, thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners uh, for joining us. Uh, again, stick around. There's more cool stuff coming up. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity to force us to review a show of your choice if you win uh, the sweepstakes and vote in the Cancel Too Soon Awards. We will finalize our plans for those probably by next week. Yeah. Um, so thank you, everybody. And that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season.